This show is part of the Pika Science Podcast, studying the intersection of video games and science. Let's close our eyes and imagine us in a place that I think all of us have been to at least once or twice in our life, the store. Any store. Pick a store that comes to mind. A giant box chain, the local grocery store, your friend's store, whatever works with you. You walk in, you've got things that you need, so you go and find those things. You grab those items, put them in your basket or your cart or take them by hand, walk over to the counter, start paying for the items themselves. Now, when you're paying for these items, you're paying for it with money, like everybody else does. If you're in the U.S., you pay with the American dollar. If you're in Japan, you pay with the yen. If you're in India, you pay with the rupee. If you're in Great Britain, you pay with the pound, etc., etc., etc. Each of these countries have their own different currencies that they use and operate with however they see fit. So why is it that in the Pokemon world, every single region seems to operate under the same currency? No matter who you are, no matter where you are, whether cash or credit, you're paying with the poke. Let's talk about it. Hello everyone, welcome to Pokenomics. I'm your host, Andrew himself, continuing this short mini-series about various economic topics in the real world and in the Pokemon world. As always, subscribe, follow, do all those things you ought to do when supporting a podcast like this. Now, let's dive into it. The Poke. I'm going to be honest, I have a fascination with the Poke in general. Whether it's in the Pokemon main series games that everybody plays, or the side games that I tend to obsess myself over with a lot, Poke is seen a lot. So, a little bit, tiny little bit of a backstory about me. I'm obsessed with the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon franchise. If you guys know what that is, it's basically instead of you being the trainer of Pokemon, you are the Pokemon, and you go through various different journeys. And in that universe, as well as in the main series games, Poke is the national currency. Or maybe not national, the universal currency. Because that's the weird thing about the main series games and in the, the side games as well, compared to the real world. It's the same currency all the time. And it's not even that. It seems like inflation doesn't even play a role because half the times, if you jump from one game to another, the prices of things decrease while the product gets better or vice versa. It, you know, it's all out of nowhere. It's all wild. And that's the interesting thing about the Poke. The Poke itself is different than any currency we can sort of relate to in the real world because it is a currency that is universally used by everyone, regardless of who you are. Are you an international gangster running Team Rocket? You use the Poke. Are you the elite four members that have been in the league and doing that stuff for decades on decades on decades? You use the Poke. Am I going to the store to buy an apple? I'm using Poke. And that's the surprising thing about Poke in general. The closest relationship to this, at least from the various studies and examples in the real world, the closest relationship to this would be the Euro. And that's a little bit about what we're going to talk about here. So the euro itself is the official currency of the Eurozone, a union of a couple of different countries. It's about 19 of the 27 member states of the European Union, as of a couple of years ago, I think, introduced in 1999 as an electronic currency and then eventually turned into a physical currency in 2002. Now, the Eurozone countries use the euro as their currency and form a single currency area 
with a shared monetary policy governed by a bank, the European Central Bank, that generally runs the euro across these various different countries. The euro itself works in a number of different ways. It is a physical currency. The euro is divided into 100 cents and represented by a specific symbol like most other currencies. You can think of the dollar as a perfect example. And this is used for daily transactions. You buy your goods and your services. You pay for your bills. You conduct financial operations. This is stuff that everybody can relate to. Everybody knows what it's like to buy something, to sell something. And like that, the euro basically emulates any other currency in the world. Like most currencies in the world as well, it operates with monetary policy. So the Eurozone, the countries of the European Union, share that common monetary policy managed by that ECB, the, the European Central Bank. Now the ECB controls key interest rates, implements measures to maintain price stability, control inflation, and support economic growth across the Eurozone. If you've been following the news in the US, especially over the past couple of months, You'll hear a lot of talk about monetary policies and rates increasing, and while we're not going to touch into that in this episode, it's that sort of stuff that the euro is able to do as well, because it is just like the dollar, its own currency with their own area of operation, I guess is the best way to describe it. Also, like all other currencies, exchange rates are possible. You can exchange one currency for another currency. You can exchange you know, your euros to pounds, or pounds to dollars, dollars to pesos, etc., all of this can be done with the euro as well, right? If you want to exchange your euro for a pound or your euro for a dollar, you can do so. By using the euro and being part of the European Union, member countries surrender their national currency and adopt the euro as their sole legal tender, just like how the U.S. has a single legal tender in the U.S. dollar. These exchange rates between the euro and non-euro currencies are determined in the foreign exchange market. You sometimes hear Forex being thrown out there. If you see any news channels, that's describing the foreign exchange markets and the fact that some people tend to trade dollars for euros and euros for dollars and vice versa, trying to make a best deal out of that. Because various currencies are worth more than other currencies, and there's an opportunity to, to make money off of that. Again, stuff that we won't discuss in our uh, explanation of the euro. Now, like many other things in life, there are advantages and disadvantages of having the euro or having this decision being made. So let's talk about a couple of those. The advantages of the euro. One thing, economic integration. The euro promotes economic integration among member countries by taking away exchange rate uncertainties, reducing transaction costs, and facilitating cross-border trade and investment. Basically, if you are a member of the European Union that uses the euro, you don't have to worry about all of these extra factors being involved when trading with various other countries. Exchange rates, transaction costs, the trade and the complications that can come with that kind of eliminate themselves if everybody is using the same type of currency. It creates a large and integrated market of over 300 million people that use the euro, which makes it that much easier to conduct large-scale trade, especially if country A has a good that you really want. You can trade with them easier compared to, all right, let's translate my currency into their currency, see if we're even making money in that aspect of it, then we go and actually buy the thing, we got to translate the price back over when we do. It adds a lot of complications there. Another advantage of the euro is price transparency. The adoption of the euro allows consumers and businesses to compare prices easily across different countries, which helps competition and leads eventually, hypothetically, to lower prices. The more competition there is, the lower prices tend to get, and it's easier to have increased competition if you know everybody in your country and the countries next to you have the same type of currency. It's easy to relate, okay, I know this good is worth this much in my country and that much in another country, compared to a good being worth 
worth this many dollars versus this many rupees versus this many rubles, etc., etc. It also allows for monetary stability. Common monetary policy implemented by the ECB aims to maintain price stability and control inflation across the eurozone, which can contribute to a more stable economic environment. If everybody's operating under the same playing field, ideally, it helps stabilize this type of monetary situation across various different countries, which is why sometimes you'll see various countries having uh, economic issues that don't affect the euro and vice versa. It can also allow for increased investment. The euro eliminates exchange rate risks within the eurozone itself, which can make it more attractive for foreign investors and stimulate investments in member countries. There's a tendency when you think of the euro, you think of the large countries that use the euro. France, Germany, Finland, uh, the Netherlands, Portugal, Spain, bigger countries. But there are also smaller countries that adopt the euro as well. You think Cyprus, Estonia, Malta. And these are all countries that can definitely use foreign investment, either to supplement the investments that they already have, or just for additional construction and the ability for the government to do more things. The increased investment ability, the ability to take in more investments, helps these countries even more to be able to operate and do the things that they wish to do. And and a lot of countries that are considered developing countries are countries that are absolutely willing and wanting funds from external countries to be able to invest into their own country to improve the things in their construction and their infrastructure, making things more sustainable and things lasting longer. However, with all of the advantages of the euro, there also could be some disadvantages of the euro. Here are a couple of those. Sometimes you can have the loss of monetary sovereignty. Right? When you are a member country, you surrender your control over monetary policy to the ECB. And as a result, individual countries can't adjust interest rates or implement independent monetary measures to address their specific economic conditions. This sort of leads into another disadvantage of heterogeneous economies. The Eurozone itself comprises of countries with various different economic structures, levels of development, and fiscal policies. This can lead to challenges in managing a single monetary policy suiting the diverse needs of all member countries. You have to operate with the same idea in mind for both France and Croatia. Although Croatia isn't a country that uses the euro. You get the same idea there. Uh, let's, let's pick a better example. Um, Portugal and Slovenia have to have the same monetary policy. Even though they are two different countries in different areas of Europe with different ideas and methods of raising revenues, different levels of various industries, some of, the, some of the industries that are higher in one country are lower in the other, but you still have to operate with the same monetary policy. This can also lead to economic imbalances. So the euro itself can exasperate economic imbalances among member countries. A single monetary policy may not be suitable for countries which are experiencing different levels of economic growth, inflation rates, or fiscal situations. And there's a lack of fiscal integration. The euro itself doesn't have a fully integrated fiscal policy. So this can mean member countries retain their own budgetary authority. So coordination challenges and difficulties responding to economic crises can occur with this sort of situation. In short, the euro has the ability to have all countries on the same playing field, which can benefit things when they're going well. But if they're not going well for specific areas, it's hard to implement a policy that can be flexible enough to help those countries without impacting everybody else. Now, a lot of the things that we were just talking about are things that make sense in this Pokemon world. Like, think about this. Let's imagine this. Although, I highly doubt we're going to see Pokemon economics as a future game coming out in the future where you sit down and, you know, implement monetary policy or stuff like that. Let's imagine the Pokemon economy itself and how the currency works. Would it be surprising to see that there's this large international bank 
that operates the poke and make sure that every region is operating under the same monetary style, right? Especially since the Pokemon games themselves are expected to take place over time, right? There's a very famous timeline that especially was big uh, around Gen 6, I think was the time, where it implies that generations 1 and 3 happen at the same time, 2 and 4 happen at the same time, then 5 comes after that, then it's 6, and then the timeline turns into uh, wormholes and you know, cross-dimensional stuff. But, you know, early on, it sort of made sense. I'm using quotations here. Uh, in, in that same sort of vein, would it be surprising to see that there's this international bank that operates the poke and the monetary policy about the poke? So they have the same currency across regions. And that's why a potion in one game is typically the same as a potion in another game. It's because the potion costs the same. You know it's going to cost the same. With the same currency in mind, the same price can be done. And that's why the economies and stuff are all developed in the same sort of way as well, because they have the same currency. There is stability in the price itself. If we were to look at this from a large scale, monetary policy itself could be stable and allowing price stability, inflation to be consistent, allowing a more stable economic environment, meaning that economic crises that happen in one region can be controlled and assisted with in help with the other region. That's also why you can sort of see all of the economies being roughly consistent, right? While there are certain areas that operate under different stylings, right? If you think of Alola, for example, and the economy of Alola, first thing I think of is tourism. A lot of funds are probably coming from tourism, unlike the more industrialized countries, uh, the countries that are more in the production things. First thing that pops into my mind is the Pokeball factory in Kalos, right? A country that has you know, it's something that they're producing and exporting out versus uh, tourism from other regions as well. Now, of course, this leads down a whole bunch of additional questions that can be asked, mainly about how things are priced and why the price of certain things stays consistent. Why is inflation not a thing despite the uh, sort of implied timeline that I talked about earlier? But all of those are questions for another day. So if we go back to the beginning and zoom back into that picture that we zoomed into earlier, you walk into your local convenience store, your big box store, your mom and pop store, whatever you want to work with. You walk on in, you grab your items, put them in that basket, put them in that cart, walk over to the counter, pay for it. Are you paying for it with dollars? Are you paying for it with yen? Are you paying for it with poke? Because the currency works the same as the euro does, though maybe in a more universal setting. That's one small part of Pokonomics. Thank you. And until next time, take care.